This is the Horse Radio Network. There's been a lot of discussion about the hunters lately. Are they really the most friendly discipline for the average rider? Or what needs to happen for it to be more inclusive? This week, we're sipping cocktails with America's leading polo player. And we've got 99 problems, but boarding ain't one. Thanks for tuning in. From Heels Down Mag, a podcast where horse pros chat about what's happening in the horse world over drinks. Welcome, Welcome to Happy, Happy Hour. Hour. I'm Justine Griffin. I'm Jessica Payne. And I'm Ellie Wozniaka. Welcome to episode 84 of Heels Down Happy Hour. Hey, guys. Hey. Hello. I'm happy Everybody because my horses are shedding, so nice. spring is upon me. <laughs> Yeah, oh, but that's wow. also super gross than when they shut out. Oh, yeah, yeah. It looked like I'd shaved my legs again. How hairy it was when I <laughs> came mean, in the house. Didn't didn't shave your legs again? Well, when I shaved them, when I hadn't shaved them. <laughs> that was a horrible sentence. <laughs> so if you understood that, uh, listeners, that's how hairy it was. <laughs> uh, there is satisfaction I get when you curry cone them and like you get the little waffles, you know, out of your curry yeah. comb. Absolutely. Yes. My dogs play with them and like rip yeah. them up and like tend to kill them. It's kind of funny. Oh, that's funny. cute. This episode is brought to you by Eagle Gold. Hi, my name is Jackie Brooks and I ride on the Canadian Olympic team in dressage. And I want to talk today about how much I love the Eco Gold flip pad in mat. It is awesome. And I don't know how many people have used half pads under their saddles, but for me, either they've been too thick and you feel like you're like way above the horse or too thin. And of course, then you feel like you're sitting in the horse, but they're not effective. And this Eco Gold flip pad, I tell you, it's the first one I felt like in the places where there's the most pressure that it is perfect at uh, getting you close to the horse. You don't feel like you're above, but still protecting their back. And you definitely feel like the horse has a lot more ability to take your weight and for it to be comfortable for them. You're close to them, but their backs are protected. So I highly recommend if you don't have, if you're struggling with a saddle or you're struggling with saddle fit or you're struggling with your half pad, order this flip half pad. It's awesome. For more information, visit ecogold.ca. All right, guys. So we have a very special guest coming on to talk about cocktails with us, which is exciting and different for us. So Nick Roldan is the leading American polo player and the current captain of the American polo team. He is the youngest ever polo player to win the U.S. Polo Open with the SQ team at the age of 15. His home base is in Wellington, and his most recent venture is with alcohol with the launch of the High Goal Luxury Gin. So hi, Nick. Welcome. Hi, guys. How are you? Good, good. We're so happy to have you on. And the the first question I have to ask... The first question I have to ask, I think, is the most important one, is we hope you brought a cocktail recipe with you. So do you have a, a really good gin-based drink you could share with us? Yes. So basically, so high, high Gold Gin, which is the gin that, uh, that I started with two other partners, is actually best served on ice, on the rocks, with a slice of lemon and a sprig of mint. So that's, that's sort of our, our, our signature cocktail. We've also made a couple of other different cocktails. Um, one that's a little bit on the fruitier side that you may like called the Roldan. That was pretty entertaining. And that one is basically, you know, a high gold gin with uh, some muddled strawberries and a hint of basil. So that one sounds really good. 
Yeah, that one's tasty. Very tasty. So, so yeah, so I'm, I'm really excited about the launch and it's been a project I've been working on for the past year with uh, my two partners. And so we're, uh, we have our first launch event on the 16th of, um, of March at the Colony Hotel here in Palm Beach. So uh, super excited. Very cool. So obviously, I imagine Polo keeps you pretty busy, but what made you want to want to go into this, this new venture with, so, with the gin line? Yeah. So look, Polo obviously keeps me extremely busy, but also Polo connects me with some really interesting people. It, 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 tra- it, it takes me to some of the most beautiful places in the world. And in one of my travels playing in England, I've been sort of on and off playing in England for the past 10 years. And um, I just, I just, you know, sort of got to really understand the sort of gin culture and got to really love it and appreciate it. Um, and a culture that is not as big in the United States yet right now, gin is probably the fastest growing spirit in that space. So, you know, I sort of saw an opportunity there and I'd come up with an idea to, to, to create my own gin sort of five years ago, never really got it off the ground. Long story short, through a, through a close friend of mine, got introduced to one of his close friends who is the C founder and CEO of a spirit company called Grain and Barrel, which has got a rum, a whiskey, a bourbon, and a vodka. And anyways, long story short, we had breakfast at St. Ambrose in Palm Beach. One thing led to another. He, he threw around the idea of gin. I threw around the idea of gin. Heigl was created. And here we are a year and a half later, or about a year, and ready to launch. And you know, we, we designed the bottle and, and, and came up with a, a you know, a, a, a different sort of flavor to gin that is a little bit more approachable to the younger demographic. So, um, so yeah. So tell me more about that flavor. I'm interested as someone who's, so I'm like, I would say a casual gin drinker, but what can I expect? So it's, it's, it, it's more flavorful, right? So the general, the, the, the gin for the most part can be a, a bit of a, a stronger taste, right? Right. Um, especially the, like the London drives, you know, usually the demographic of the gin drinkers is usually an older demographic, right? Especially in Europe and England and all those areas. So our sort of vision or concept was to try to attract a younger demographic, maybe to attract the non-gin drinker into drinking gin. It's, you know, it's, it's, and anyway, so we, we, we've, what we've done is we've added Meyer lemons to it and we've added mint mm. and that, yeah. So that gives it a bit of a fresher taste, a little bit lighter taste not that powerful, not that overwhelming. And, and like I said, it's, it, it's actually, I mean, it, it can be consumed on the rocks and it actually is, is beautiful. It's a very smooth, light taste. It's, 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 it's a wonderful day drink and it can be mixed with so, so many different things with muddled strawberries and muddled berries or, you know, your classic gin and tonic. Um, so yeah, a lot of different varieties. I'm super excited to taste it because the listeners know I'm actually not the biggest gin drinker. I'm more of vodka or, or I do love a really good red wine. Like that's my go-to. Right. So right. I'm really excited because like my best friends are all huge, huge gin drinkers. Like that's all they drink. And I'm like, Oh, I can't, I can't drink it as much as you guys can. Yeah. So I'm really excited that this will be, cause I wouldn't say I'm a younger generation, but I think I'm just <laughs> not sophisticated for that gin yet. Look, I, so, I, I'm not a younger generation either. So, I mean, I, I'm, so, you know, but I'm I, really what I can excited is, for you. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's it's super exciting. Great. We and, can't wait. And, and we've, you know, I, it, it's actually, it's, it's, it's interesting. I've, I've, you know, through, through this high goal experience, I've been, I've been 
you know, dinners with a lot, a lot younger kids and, and a lot of like the younger demographic are now actually drinking gin, which totally caught me off guard. And I was like, wow, like we really have something here. So anyways, we're Super excited. excited. It's, it's, it's a tasty product and we're excited about the launch and we've been getting a lot of good feedback. And so, yeah, so we'll see. So I don't know. I mean, I follow Polo just very, we live in Aiken. So like we'll go to like a game or something like that, like or a match yep. or whatever it's actually called. Sorry, because yep. I show jump an event. But how would you say the sport of Polo is like fair during these weird pandemic times? Like what's next for you and your competition season? Yeah, I mean, look, to be honest, yeah, we, we, I mean, we're definitely living in some crazy times and unfortunate times. But I try to always look at the positive sides of things. And Polo, it's, I mean, you know, I, I play for a year-round contract with a family, Mark and Melissa Ganzi, who they have three high-goal teams. So we're, we're, we're extremely busy. We're playing a lot of polo. We actually haven't stopped. And, you know, and, and to be fair, I mean, Wellington is packed. I mean, Wellington has, you know, they're between Port Mayaka, Grand Champions, the World Polo League, the International Polo Club. I mean, there's polo everywhere, Hope Sound. So, you know, thank God, you know, you know, we're, we're, we're blessed that, that, that we can continue and we're playing an outdoor sport and that sort of, you know, we can we still enjoy, you know, our jobs and, and, and try to keep going. So, so yeah, you know, I, I, unfortunately, you know, we're, we're not, they're not, it's not open to the public, but, you know, hopefully things will change. I think we're headed in the right direction. So. So speaking of Wellington, what's it like to live in Wellington year round? So I, I live up where it snows and it's horrible. <laughs> so, <laughs> so many equestrians, right, especially in my area, are, you know, seasonal snowbirds down to Wellington. But what's it like to live there year round? Yes, I mean, look, I, I know there, there, there's four months of the year that I'm not here. So I wouldn't say that I'm a full year rounder, but I grew up here. My family lives here year round. I went to school here. I love it. It's home. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm here usually between June and, and the middle of September, I'm, I'm traveling, but the rest of the year I'm here and I love it. You know, the weather is nice. Sure. It gets a little hot in the summers, but it's not that bad. I've been, it gets I've hot been everywhere. In New York. I've been in New York in the summers. It gets hot. I've been in Nashville in the summers for Polo. It gets really hot. Um, you know, it's, it gets hot everywhere. So it's it's a great place, you know the, the the facilities and the amenities that Polo had, that Wellington has for equestrians is, you know is 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 you know some of the best in the world. So and I think a lot of people are starting to realize that, you know why why do we have to why do we have to leave Wellington when the weather really isn't that bad and we have our bases here and everyone has farms here and you can you can show or play polo here you know longer than people think you can. So great. Well, hey Nick, it's been really yeah. great to chat with you. Thank you yeah, so much for I'm joining the same us. with you guys. Yeah, of course. I'm, Thanks. I'm, really, uh, I'm happy to be on. So I've got some sad news for you guys. We have been so excited about all these events running again for 2021. And, you know, we're on kind of like the brink of like figuring out how to do all this in the States. Well, unfortunately, they just announced in 2021 that Bramham International Horse Trials is not going to happen, that they are still under lockdown with the government. And they're hoping they'd be exiting the lockdown and more vaccines come out. But they just, the organizers themselves, just don't feel that they can social distance everybody and enforce it enough. So because everybody's outside, yes, it's an outside event, but like everybody will kind of go to different parts of the course and they feel like they can't properly social distance like you could in an arena where you block off certain seats. So unfortunately, they have decided that 
in their best efforts, they have had to cancel it. So it's really sad for a lot of, you know, the European and British and Irish and all the riders over there based that they don't have a, another big venue to go to right before, you know, we're still planning on the Olympics happening. So it's, it's pretty sad that, you know, they've had to cancel, but understandably they're trying to do it in the safety of everybody. So it is sad news that Bramham's canceled now. Wow. Yeah, another one bites the dust, which kind of sucks. Yeah. So, and other sad news, Justine, we've had another case. Yeah, the we EH- go from one yeah one thing to the next. Seriously, the EHV stuff is uh, it's getting pretty darn scary. You know, we've had uh, two cases at least that they found in Ocala now connected to horses that have come in and out of the World Equestrian Center. And I know that there's been at least one case also in Pennsylvania. And from what yeah. I understand, from what I understand and what's been reported, that you know, it's not the same strain exactly that they're seeing out of Europe, which is, you know, if you've seen any of those photos and pictures of what what they're dealing with in Valencia, Spain, I mean, it's just we talked about it a little bit on the last episode, but it is just horrendous. It's awful. So yeah, it's taken over and it's come over here. So for us personally, like. We were supposed to be going to the World Equestrian Center for the third time. So we were very fortunate that actually we were there before all of the HV scared happened. So we had been out of it. But unfortunately, we were supposed to go back for week 12. And mm-hmm. just we're just being super cautious. And I know they have it under control and everything. But we, you know, with us, it's very hard to be a half show jump barn, half event barn. And so... Not that you want to expose any horse to it, but then right now it's kind of like limited to that. So it's just, for us, it was too many variables and too many risks that we actually uh, called and canceled our stalls for it. And we're like, we're really sorry. We were really looking forward and we had a bunch of horses coming and it's the 200,000 Grand Prix and a big hunter derby, but just we couldn't feel comfortable with it. So we canceled the WEC one and then out of the Pennsylvania one, out of New Bolton, it was scary. It was actually a friend of ours horse that had that happen at New Bolton. It had gone up for an eye surgery wow. almost like a month ago and it had gone up to just do an eye surgery and was still based out of there. So the owner lives in Aiken and there was all this like scare that it was out of Aiken. It hadn't been in Aiken for a while. It, you know, was up there and they don't know how it contracted it. Like whether it's from the transport company or whatever else, but you know, nobody's like worried about it being here in Aiken once they got all the facts but it did happen and it was at New Bolton and it was just up there for like a routine eye surgery. Like it was doing something with the eye surgery and ended up becoming neurologic. And so it did have the neurological strand, but they still do think it's could be different than the um, one in Valencia. So it's, it's scary stuff though. Definitely. That is really scary. And you know, I I can't, you know, I'm sure you're one of many people who've canceled, you know, their trips at this, at this point to go to Ocala uh, I it wonder how worth it for us. Right, right. And I just wonder what the reverb is like, you know, like, okay, WEC is one part of many venues and many horse shows going on in Ocala right now. Are people just avoiding Ocala? I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't really know. I think it's kind of, I do know that all the different horse shows are not allowing you, like if you've been at WEC, you can't go to HITS. Mm -hmm. and vice versa and you can't go down to wellington and you can't do to venice and so like they are kind of separating like once you've been at one venue you now have to kind of stay at that venue and they're all doing a great job with the biosecurity and all of that but just 
you know, we're traveling to Carolina the weekend before Carolina's uh, next weekend stuff. So for us, we're doing all of our fire security and doing all of that and doing as fast as social distance with the horses as well. So it's just one more added thing. We're like, look, there's always another jumper show we can go to. So we chose to kind of bypass that one. Gotcha. Yeah, I don't blame you there. So, Ellie, I hear you have better news, though, from us. Exactly. I have funny news, guys. Yay! So, there was this picture. I don't know if you guys saw it. So, like, kind of circling around social media, which made me laugh, given the conversation about my hairy legs. Basically, Corolla Wild Horse Fund, which is over in North Carolina. It's like a Mustang strain out, or strand out there. <laughs> and... They have this picture of this two-year-old Mustang, um, his front feet, and they had pulled their socks up that they're selling as a as a fundraiser to help take care of these wild horses. And people were commenting just like, oh, my God, those are such hairy legs and like all these like funny things on it's Facebook. It's super cute, though. Like, it did is, they not realize it was horses' legs? I mean, I think they did because <laughs> like, how could you not? Right. Or at least notice, like, I mean, I feel like even someone who's not a horse person could be like, that's not a human leg, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but yeah, so it's it's really funny, too, because this this two year old, I guess he had, you know, been kind of desensitized because he'd been treated for like anti with antifungal medications and stuff before. But these horses are usually, you know, known to be like super dangerously wild and like kicking and stomping and biting and so I just think it's funny that they have this two-year-old that they just threw these socks on to, you know, raise money and awareness for their new product. And I just thought it was funny because hairy legs. So I just want to do a huge shout out to all of our Patreon people. You guys have seen my kind of behind the scene videos, some funny stuff. Make sure you guys get and donate on there. We'd love it. It's really supported this podcast and we really, really appreciate it. And so for that, we've, we tried to get Ellie to shave her legs for it, which she didn't, but we will oh, get it's other back really, out. It's grown we, back out. We'll get her one day. I promise. We've got some tips from other people that have messaged her. So I'm really excited. Maybe we can do this, but just go on. If you guys can donate, we really appreciate it. And we'd love to kind of give you more behind the scenes stuff for doing all you can for us. Thank you guys. And if anybody that wants to contribute, please just go to www dot patreon p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash heels down so justine i heard that you got to test out smart pack's new evolution breeches i did so smart pack just came out with a new line of piper breeches they're their own type of piper breeches and they're called the piper evolution breeches and it's still the same piper style that you know and love that I love. I ride in Pipers all day long, but it comes in a brand new type of fabric. And what you could feel the difference. Like it's a very technical material. It has just the right amount of stretch and structure. And what I like about it is there's really great shape retention. Like I need the fabric to hold my whole body in, you know, like when I put that booty in those pants, it's gotta, it's gotta <laughs> oh, stay I know. there. <laughs> I, I feel that. I feel that on a spiritual level. <laughs> but also living in Florida, what I love about them is they're, it's very light. It's very light fabric, like compared to my original Pipers, which I still love. This is a very light, like you can get them soaking wet with the hose on the wash rack and they dry really fast. 
They're also stain resistant and moisture wicking. So they're like, these breaches I'm going to live in over the summer. They're going to be great. So what, but they have their own styles. So they have all the same colors that we've, that you've come to love about Pipers. They have really great different color combos, but they have a really nice more than two inch wide contoured waistband, which for me, I love that because it eliminates that gapping you get kind of in your, you know, in your waist area. It has really beautiful stitching and, and it adds like a really pretty trim. So depending on the color combo that you get, it looks really nice. It has that soft elastic sock bottom, which is like my new favorite thing when breeches have that soft like ankle sock part. Oh, over the Velcro. I'm like, yeah. why? We don't need no, that. <laughs> no way. Exactly. And they have four pockets, which is great. I, you know, their, their pockets hold my phone. That's important to me. But you've got plenty of pockets. So you've got front ones that are roomier than, you know, I would say they like they could hold the front ones can even hold my phone, which the Piper original pockets. I don't I don't know if I would do that. I always put them in my back pockets. But yeah, the front ones were a little small. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But they're easy to care for. Like you throw them in the wash at home. You hang to dry. They're great for schooling. Again, I love all the breach or I love all the colors. And SmartPak really took their time to develop these breaches. They've tested them in and out of the saddle over the last year. And they have a rise, the like the, I would say it's not low rise, it's more mid rise, maybe in between, kind of fits right below your natural waist, which is great for me. So yeah, right now the Piper Evolution breeches are available in sizes 22 to 38, and then they're going to expand the line by fall, which will include sizes 22 to 48 and offer a new high rise option. So now is a great time to check them out. And then once you fall in love, you can buy even more in the fall when they're when they're ready for that expansion. But they're really a great pair of breeches. I think they're going to hold up just as well as my original Pipers. And again, you can't beat this technical fabric. So if you want to check them out for yourself, you should go to smartpackequine.com. And again, these are called the Piper Evolution Breeches. I'm excited to announce our next guest is Hope Glenn. Her career in the hunter-jumper training has developed over the last 20 years. She's ranked in the top 10 in the country of the leading derby riders for Money One in the United States. In addition to her success as a rider, Hope has trained junior and amateur hunter riders to wins across the country. Welcome, Hope. Hi, guys. So I'm so excited that you just started your new business, Hope LLC. Congrats. What made you kind of strike out into your own? Well, you know, I've had a very large business the last 20 years, Sonoma Valley Stables, which I ran with my ex-husband, and it was a very successful hunter-jumper barn. In fact, we've been the largest barn, show-jumping barn on the West Coast, basically, for the last 15 years, and we get along great, and we still, I actually still own half of that business, but Ned runs it completely, and it's a very successful client-based hunter-jumper barn in Petaluma that has some great riders and some great horses. But um, for me, where I needed to go in my direction, I really wanted for the next basically three years of when I stepped away from Sonoma Valley Stables was about four years ago. And for me, what I needed to do is create a business on what I wanted to do in this industry. I have been extremely blessed, extremely lucky and fortunate to get to show great horses all over this country for the last 20 years and have some amazing clients and be on the road, you know, 30 weeks a year showing at multiple horse shows, 
But at a certain point, I didn't want to do that anymore. And I really started to get burned out of the industry for a number of different reasons. And it was kind of strange because it was at the peak of my career. But the problem I was finding is I have one child, Avery Glenn, who is a very successful junior rider. And I found that I was spending all my time with other people's children and missing out on the one thing that I really do this business for, which is for her and to help her be successful. And also I get a ton of enjoyment out of watching her ride because she's such a great horseman, a great rider, and she's my kid. So I have one. I only have her for three more years before she goes to college. And for me, I really was feeling like I was missing out on seeing her ride, spending all my time watching my client's children ride. And for me, I needed to make a change. And so my only way of doing that was to completely revamp my business. And I have been very fortunate that um, Hope LLC now is a primary business of sales. So people send me horses to sell, as well as I bring horses over from Europe or buy horses, actually a lot of times out of the event world or maybe the local circuit to bring along and sell. Um, I partner with uh, two different barns in Europe to bring horses over. And what that has allowed me to do is basically shift my focus from completely being just a client-based business to now I just have sale horses that mainly Avery and I ride. And the other thing that I get to do is I have two nice private clients that I get to show they're nice horses. They're both amateurs and they're easy and very good horsemen and supportive of this sport. And basically my life now is selling horses, riding those sale horses, developing them, and then bringing some horses over from Europe that Avery can ride and learn the skills of, you know, developing in sales and being successful. And it's allowed me to basically have options to be able to travel with her and, you know, see her successes. And that's what motivates me now more than anything. Well, being a mom myself like that just touched me so much because I, you know, it is exactly what you do it for. So that's pretty incredible. So going back to the sales aspect that you did. So when everything broke a year ago that we were all shut down and, you know, we have a very big business here on the East Coast. So like everybody kind of panics, like, what do you do? And we actually don't do a lot of sales nowadays, but in the sales, like, what did you guys do if that's kind of your primary business? Have you seen the sales skyrocket or have you seen them kind of plummet with COVID times? You know, it's so interesting how COVID has affected our business in general. And I clearly am speaking from a West Coast perspective at this time, but I, you know, I was in Florida two weeks ago and everybody seems to be on the same page there as well. The very interesting thing about COVID is when it hit, which was kind of the end of thermal for us last year, we then, you know, couldn't go to any horse shows. And there was kind of about a two month period where people were still in a little bit of shock, in my opinion, as to what was going to happen. There weren't shows going, you know, were they allowed a lot of barns shut down for a couple months and you couldn't go ride. Then there were other barns that stayed open and people got to go there. To ride. And then there was this weird shift. Like if your barn was closed, then you, I saw clients move to barns that were open. It was a very strange first 90 days of COVID. 100%. And, <laughs> 100%. I think people were like, okay, you know what? This is going to be here for a while. 
there's ways we can do this with private lessons and masks and, you know, correct sanitary type practices, whether it be hand washing or, you know, making the guys use, you know, I, I saw some barns do really creative things. Like I saw one barn that had um, all their clients bring their own reins out every day so that they never touched anything at the barn. The horses were at the ring for them and they brought their own reins put, they put, snapped the reins on the horse and then took lessons and took their reins with them. So there was no contact with the basically anything. That's super interesting. Which I actually thought was a very creative way of doing it. But, you know, for me, I was lucky because I just had a, a, a private client. In fact, um, for me, we tested every two weeks. So it was easy to keep my business going because I didn't have a large clientele. But for example, like the other, the barn Sonoma Valley Stables, which I still have some involvement with because my daughter um, still rides there with her dad. They had to close for a little while, basically to figure out the right protocol on how do you deal with a lot of clients at a barn at a certain point in time. And, you know, I think people have all figured that out at this point, but yeah. I think it took during COVID, it took about 90 days for people to figure out where they were going to settle. And then it was like, oh my goodness, although we can't maybe go to shows right now, we're tired of sitting at home. We miss our animals. We need our animals, our horses to help us get through this time emotionally. And, you know, we all know how much we love going to the barn, but when something like this hits, I guess you realize how much animals do for you in your life. And I feel like people really just found riding as kind of their saving grace and their safe place they could go when they weren't, you know, locked down at home. So once some of them was the only place they could go, right. And we really found that with um, parents who had children at home who were doing Zoom school, not getting to socialize, not getting out of the house. The barn was the only place they could go. No longer could the family travel. So the barn was really the only place they could go. And then you have the element of a lot of families, the dad normally goes to work or the mom normally goes to work and the kids normally go to school. Well, guess what? They're all sitting at home and they're not happy (laughs) because everybody's (laughs) sitting there, understandably. But, um, and I think at that point in time, they went, oh my gosh, thank God for horses and riding right now because they literally are saving our family from getting, you know, like horses are what's making our family survive this right now. And I feel like, you know, myself included, my daughter couldn't go to school. She couldn't see her friends. If she didn't have horses, what a, you know, what a sad existence. I feel really bad for these kids who are at home doing Zoom school, maybe can't go out, don't have animals, don't have dogs. I mean, what a blessing it is to be able to go out and be with animals during a time of, you know, stressful time. You know, there's a lot of anxiety in society in general right now and negativity. And I do think animals are the best remedy to help you get rid of that. And I think when people realize that, and they also realized, oh my gosh, we're not going to horse shows. So we're saving money. We're not traveling. So we're saving money. Then they went, let's get another horse, you know, like let's get another horse for our daughter. Let's get another horse for our son or our wife or whoever it is that was passionate about horses in your family because we want them to spend more time at the barn or let's get our kid into riding because they can't do any of the other sports right now, but oh, riding. Wow. And so I think where a few years ago, because of the economy, you know, starting new kids in this business, 
I felt really slowed down. I feel like it's COVID's actually given it a boost, which is so interesting because most businesses, I don't think would say that about COVID, but for our business in general, I think horse sales, horse training, I think, I think our business has had a spike. I really think more people would tell you that their business has gotten busier during COVID than gotten smaller or, you know, less popular for sure. Sales for me, this, this last year has been the biggest year I've ever had, whether it be as my own person or at Sonoma Valley Stables, I literally do not have enough horses to fill the bills. I mean, fill the like orders of the people that are asking me. And I know I'm not the only person I talk to people all the time and they're like, I'm out of inventory. What do we do? And, and, and horses, I, I think I've sold 12 at thermal and least four. I mean, I just don't have enough horses to show people because they're, they're going fast. And I mean, kind of in a little bit of a crazy thing, like there's, there's people who aren't caring that much about how they vet. And there's other people who, you know, don't, oh, it's okay. I, I, you know what, as long as I can be first in line, I'll vet it before I even get on the plane to come down there so that we don't lose the horse. Cause sales are going so fast. So it's very interesting how it has affected this market. And I think, I think most people could tell you it's been a positive thing for sales in general in the horse business during COVID. Wow. That's amazing. I hope so. Obviously you're a well-known, a well-known name in the hunter world. Um, I'm kind of curious on your take on just how the hunters are doing these days. I mean, there's been some articles published in the last couple months that really, poke holes at the hunters and kind of explore like what's the future look like and that are the hunters really losing interest to other disciplines either from because of the judging of it or or maybe the affordability standpoint i'm just curious on what you're seeing as someone who's out there and at the horse shows and selling the horses i have horses in all rings whether it's jumpers hunters or equitation i definitely have horses showing in all rings and sell horses in all those rings but and I'm also a judge. I've been a large art judge for over 20 years now. And I, I see and I hear, you know, I think with social media, you oftentimes get people on a pedestal that are either bitching about something and you can't really bitch about judging and jumpers because there's no politics involved and there's no opinion involved. It's just straight math. You either jump clean or you jump fast. And hunters, it's someone you're paying for someone's opinion. and you're, you're paying for basically if they like you or not in the judge's booth. And I think that's what you've seen a lot. There's some people that definitely drive like conversations on social media, whether people think that's positive or negative. If it gets people talking, I don't think it's a bad thing. So in my opinion, talking about the sport cultivates change and hopefully it cultivates change in a good way. So, um, but it definitely, you see it out on social media where, you know, even 10 years ago, people would never like call out judging or call out, you know, hunters as losing, you know, maybe interest, but now you have these very, you know, strong, vivid conversations on social media about it often. Mm -hmm. And my biggest thing is this one, I don't have, I think people need to demand better judging but they have to do it the right way. You have to go fill out a judge's basically recommendation card. Every horse show has them. It's basically a piece of paper that you can go to the office and you can give your basic feedback on how was the judging. And if there's a certain judge 
you know what? Don't be whiny if the judge didn't like you, if they had reasons. If you go and sit and watch the whole class and you're enough of a horseman to know what should happen and what shouldn't, then that's a legitimate reason if you see a class being judged poorly that you should go fill out a recommendation and say, I watched this first year class or I watched this junior hunter class and this person is not knowledgeable. Then you know what? That's the right way to handle it. I don't think calling somebody out on social media is the correct way to handle it. I also do understand how bad judging is frustrating. And for me, that's a big problem in this industry and hunters in general. So you have two two problems in my opinion. One, I don't think the judging committee has it completely figured out yet on how is the best way to license officials and keep them, you know, making sure that we have the best people that have their large R's. For example, anyone can get a large R if you've judged so many times and the judges committee approves you. But in my opinion, at certain very top, there are very, there's a group of probably 40 to 50, maybe 30 judges in this country that are very top judges. And those are the people that should be judging the medal finals, should be judging, you know, the top hunter derbies, all that sort of stuff. I think they need to have a different ranking than just another large R who maybe hasn't ever been to that point or maybe hasn't judged a lot of horse shows yet. Um, I think there actually has to be like almost like a star ranking system for judges. And then, you know what, you've got to pay those people more as a judge. I get paid between 500 and 600 a day at a horse show. What I have to pay to go to a horse show, leave my business at home, hire someone to take care of all that. I spend one day flying across the country to get there. I spend one day flying back. I leave my child. I leave my dog. I leave, you know, it's not financially all that worth it for me to judge. So for me to go judge a big competition, I have to leave my business. You should pay me more so there's an incentive. And if I didn't think horse shows could afford it, that would be one thing. But I do think the top horse shows, the horse shows that bring in more entries from world champion, hunter rider, or you name it, should pay those top judges more. And then you know what? people, Those people and the people who maybe are close to it will really have an incentive to be the best and pay attention. And I feel like you have all these career judges that do it week and week, week in and week out. They get burned out and I understand it there. I think it's almost better that you don't judge all the time. I think you should judge, you know, ideally four or five times a year because then you're fresh at it. You know, I think there are so many excellent judges that don't ride anymore, but Unfortunately, so many of them have to do it week in and week out. I can understand how they get burned out or maybe they, they don't pay attention or, you know, or they just have some resentment or opinions formed already. And the problem is we have all these great riders who aren't judges. It would be really great if we can find a way to get more of our great riders and coaches to be judges and allow them to judge because those are the people that, that are are we want in the judge's booth because they're horsemen. And I think that that would really get people to stay in the hunter ring and have a little less complaining. And I think that's where we need to start because I think the biggest thing with hunters that burns people out is when it's very hard to explain to a dad or a mom at the back gate, 
why one kid gets an 80 and another gets an 86. It should be easy if it's clear. Like if the rider who gets the 86 is on the beautiful horse that lands the leads, jumps great. But we all know sometimes you watch these classes and the kid who gets the 86 is late with the lead change and the kid who gets an 80 had a beautiful round because the judge just missed it or maybe doesn't have the knowledge to know the difference between the quality they're looking at on one horse and, and maybe not another. I think we can boost morale for the hunters if we continue to encourage judges to be better, the great judges we have at the great horse shows, and then we have a better system as these judges come along to help really educate them on, um, you know, basically how to do it well and how to be fair and how to be quality. And I think, I think they're working on it. It's just a little bit slow in coming. And I think that that's a very frustrating thing for spectators, parents, trainers, when you don't feel like the person in the judge's box is knowledgeable enough to be penning the class. Well, then it's frustrating, but I will be the first to tell you as a judge, as an exhibitor, as a trainer, as a writer, if you don't watch the class, don't don't make any comments on whether or not you thought what score is what because the best horse ever can make mistakes and deserve a 65 that day the mediocre horse might have the best round of its life and deserve deserve an 85 that day if you don't watch the whole class you don't actually know what went on if you do watch the whole class i value your opinion but if you don't watch the whole class from the side of the ring that the judge is on and it's very difficult to make you know, these strong opinionated statements about whether somebody's a good judge or a bad judge. So Hope, where do the hunters fit in for adult amateurs? Uh, do you feel like it's friendly enough to attract the average amateur or what needs to change now in order for it to grow again? So you've, you've got a couple different, I, I'm going to go out here and this is strictly my own opinion on things. I definitely think most amateurs need to to start in the hunter ring. I think oftentimes it's safer, um, going straight, learning how to count, you know, organizing your step, all that sort of stuff for beginning adult riders to medium adult riders. The hunter ring, in my opinion, is by far the safest place to start them. You look at your 0 0.70, 0 0.80 and 0.90 jumpers, and that's great. However, right now in our sport, Unfortunately, those lower jumpers, oftentimes you see a class that isn't optimum time. And I have seen more junior and amateur beginner riders end up in the hospital because they're in it to win it. Everybody who spends the money at this sport, everybody who is passionate enough to spend this kind of money to show horses wants to win. You may not win, but you still like the blue ribbon better than the pink ribbon. And unfortunately, in the little jumpers, if you're not doing optimum time, you're just running. And I really think that is a bad thing for our sport. I think it is unsafe. I think it is bad for the horses. And I think it's even worse for the clients because oftentimes you will see maybe a less educated trainer at the back of those low jumper rings and little jumpers are usually less expensive than little hunters. So guess what? You take the amateur over to that ring because they can't afford a fancy two, six hunter. And then they run and they don't have the balance and they don't have the education. 
And the trainer's trying to encourage them to win the class. So you see these trainers yelling at their clients, go faster. And that's when you really run into danger. So for me personally, I think everything basically under a meter should be optimum time because I think then you would actually keep people safer. You would encourage amateurs to get into the jumpers because they don't feel like they're in danger. But in the hunter ring, you're working on rhythm and straightness and all that. The reason I think people aren't maybe staying in the amateur hunter ring or maybe starting in the amateur hunter ring or the children's ring is just because the prices of the horses have gotten so exorbitant at the two, six to three foot division, finding a beginner horse, you know, it's just as expensive right now as a top horse in many areas, because you think how hard it is to find a horse that can have that brain to be able to go in a ring, take a joke in the wind, in the rain, in the early day, in the late day, and still have a smile on their face and jump cute and change their leads and get a piece of the hack. Those are really hard to come by. So therefore the supply and demand chain, we don't have enough supply and we have a lot of demand for starter horses. So those starter horses then just continue to get more and more expensive. And that's where we lose people out of the hunter ring over to the jumper ring. Cause we just price them out of the hunters in my opinion. Um, and most people are not going to like hearing this, but it's my opinion. And you guys have me on the podcast for my opinion. I genuinely feel like in this business, we need to come up with some program, whether it be changing the medication rules, whether it be changing, you know, preparation, our horses get, the hunters get lunged too much. They get too many meds. We need to figure out a way whether it be to try to legalize or find a safe tranquilizer. But in my opinion, I feel like two nine and under amateur hunters are basically the people who fund this sport for us right now. They are the people who own half the Grand Prix horses. They are the people who are getting in this industry and supporting the trainers. I feel like we have to keep these horses healthy and safe. And it is not normal for a six to 10 year old warm blood to go in the ring with their floppy ears and quiet brains and never flick an ear and never miss a lead change. And the problem is we end up with all these other medications in their system and hours of lunging. And guess what? It breaks horses. People then have to buy new ones for more money. So we lose people from the sport. I am a big believer that we need to find a safe, effective way that is good for the horses to be able to participate at these low levels to keep these ladies safe. And I am very anti-lunging them to death because it's just not any part of the sport for me when it I feel like we are actually doing harm to our animals to get them ready. And I do think there are ways out there. I think we do have medications out there. I think we do have ways of making horses on the quieter side and safer for the horses and safer for the amateurs. And I think it's kind of like this uh, conversation people just don't want to have because they don't want to admit that animals aren't genuinely like quiet most of the time. I mean, we need to have a real conversation. The majority of this sport are beginning adults and children's. How do we keep horses in this industry longer? How do we keep 
animals sounder longer? How do we keep people from having to buy new horses every other year? We lose so many people in this business because they have to buy multiple horses and then they go lame. And then guess what? They don't come back to this industry. It's the reason we have had less than 1% growth in our industry over the last basically 50 to 100 years. We have had less than 1% growth in the hunter-jumper industry. And it's because you can't just keep buying most, the majority of the people can't just keep buying more and more expensive horses when one breaks. That's just unrealistic. So we've got to change our industry, in my opinion. And I think hunters are absolutely the way that we should be starting people. I think we need to have a real discussion on how do we keep horses sounder longer and how do we make this business and how do we make the drug rules and how do we make the governing body recognize it's not for our FEI. The difference in FEI drug rules should be different from 2-6 pre-adult hunter rules, in my opinion. I feel strongly about that. I'm on a soapbox. I know it's not everybody's opinion, but it is mine. Hey, that was the best soapbox I've heard in a long time, Hope. So thank you. Thank you for being so honest and transparent with us. Yeah, that's who I am. With saddles for every discipline in confirmation, priced at just $1,499, there's an arena saddle that is perfect for you. Look for them at your local saddlery. All right, guys, it's time for Rose and Thorn. And Jess has been hinting that she's got a great one for us all night. And I just can't wait to hear it. So I feel like you got to go first, Jess. So my rose is that we are actually moving into the farm this month with the change of the WEC and all that we've decided between Caroline and the fork, we're actually going to move in. So that is definitely my rose that it's a little nervous, but like, you know, cause we've been waiting so long, but I'm still so, so excited that that's definitely my rose and my thorn is, and I couldn't decide for the listeners if it was a rose or a thorn. So this is going to be my thorn is so Doug, we spent the last 12 hours yesterday where I forgot my phone. And if anybody knows me, I was like talking on my watch and my computers. So that's more my thorn <laughs> of the day because Doug decided to get two surgeries yesterday at the same time. And these were all his ideas. So this was not me. This was, he has been bothered by his eyes lately, like with the mask and everything. And he's been contemplating it and he's met with a couple doctors about getting LASIK. And so he got a version of LASIK on his eyes yesterday. And this was kind of like a quiet week. And he's like, well, if I'm going to be down, they said I can't be by dust and everything. And we, love our two children, but we've always just wanted two kids. So then he got a mastectomy in the same day. What? Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Told you, Ellie. Told you. Got it. Is is he going to be upset that you just outed that he gelded himself on the, on the podcast? (laughs) Probably, but I mean, it is what it is, right? (laughs) Oh my God. Wow. <laughs> and now that for the record, Ellie, no, I led the entire statement saying he signed himself up for these. This was not me. I did not actually at all participate in this. Like I just said, look, if you want to have a second, be great. Like he 100%, like the doctor was like, are you nervous? He's like, no, I want this. Like we are done. Like we love our two children and we're so thankful we have them, but 
We do not want any more kids. And that was this was his choice. Yeah. Well, Just honestly, for the record. it's so much so less invasive than him. I didn't guild him. Just stating. <laughs> <laughs> he gelded himself. Yeah, sure. That sounds good. <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> oh, I'm gonna need a minute. So for everybody, I told Ellie she was not gonna be able to handle my rose or thorn because I couldn't tell you which one it was gonna be. So, did you pee Got a little, it. Ellie? I did pee a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm crying a little bit. Top that? Can you top that? Uh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> Nope. Um, <laughs> Should we just end the whole Rose and Thorn and I just have the whole thing for the segment? <laughs> That's it. Um, I guess my thorn uh, would be that I'm getting, I have to go see a migraine specialist um, because I've been having these migraines like at least twice a week where they're like to the point where I feel like I'm going to vomit and like I've been sleeping on the bathroom floor for like a couple of hours. And when Matt comes home, he's like, do you need anything? And he turns the light on and I'm like, how many times I got to tell you to just leave me alone. <laughs> if I'm laying on the bathroom floor, no, I don't want any water. I want the bathroom floor. And he's, he tries to be nice about it, but I'm like, why'd you just come in and turn the light on and say, Hey, how is it going? Obviously not too well. But so I'm, I'm looking forward to getting a medication that will work for that because my Excedra migraine, uh, has decided that it's, it's maxed out, um, which thanks mom for giving me uh, hereditary migraines, not fun, but then my, uh, rose would probably be that I'm getting really excited about the show season coming up in couple months here so I'm trying really hard to like get myself in shape which I probably should be my road or my thorn because it's a horrible mess because I'm 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 a chubby lady so I'm trying to do a lot of like cardio and things like that and Matt's like hey good for you and I'm just like I just want to eat ice cream like I don't know why I can't just sit on the couch so that would be my, my rose is that I'm looking forward to it and I'm going to think about it as a rose so I don't get cranky about it and want to stuff my face with Oreos. Still not as good as uh, Doug gelding himself, but. <laughs> <laughs> I just oh my can't. gosh. Oh my I told you, Ellie, you weren't going to be able to handle it. If so only, what are you going to show? What are you going to do? Like, what do you, what's on your agenda for your show season? Um, so I. I have a new client that is has a younger horse that she wants to do like ranch horse stuff with. So, and that's kind of what I wanted to start my almost five-year-old in now. And what I'd like to do with my Rainer, because it's just a good break for him. He gets really kind of anxious and sour um, with the raining and he's getting up there too. Um, so we're going to do some ranch stuff, which is basically just, it's like pattern work. It's not any like special trail things or anything like that. Um, but it's nice because, you know, unlike a lot of the more modern AQHA classes, it's, you know, it allows for, you know, full movements. Like you're not allowed to have like small gates because you really want the horse to cover ground. It's supposed to kind of emulate as if that 
horse were actually working on a ranch. So they don't care about a low head. You know, they care about being level and you're not allowed to clip the horse's ears or bridle paths, which is great for me because I'm lazy. Um, so that's kind of where we're going for Western. And then for English, my mom was like, Hey, I'll pay your entry fees. If you meet up with us at like Kit Sogarty's. And so I'm like, okay, I can do that. But then, so that's kind of where that's my end goal is probably like August time, um, to go do hits depending on the COVID situation. Um, then I found a few like local shows, um, where I can just get them off property and, start schooling him in a big arena again. So that's what I'm excited for. That sounds awesome. I'm happy for you. Yeah. That'll be fun. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. Thanks mom for, uh, <laughs> cause I can't afford it on my own. Oh my gosh. All right. What about you? Hmm. Good question. What about me? So mine are both like Rose or Thorn. Like they could go either way. First one is that horse I was looking at sold and I'm not going to lie. I'm, I I'm like relieved. So I don't have to deal with, should I buy a second horse? So he went to a good home. So it's all, it's all good. And I feel like that's the world telling me I don't need a second horse right now. So, so, but maybe one day at, you know, at a better time in my life, I'll get another one. Who knows? And then my other rose slash thorn is I'm just I I'm going to ask you a question in this one is I'm thinking about doing another horse trial this month in Ocala at Majestic. But I'm wondering, what do you think about that with the virus outbreak? Do you feel like it's like, should I just avoid Ocala altogether for now? Or do you feel like it's pretty well isolated just at WEC? Like, would you go? Would you go to an Uh event in Ocala? So, I mean, you're already in Florida and you already went to rocking horse, which, you know, all of that. So I think that, and so I guess my question is, would you just trailer in and out or would you be stabled at Majestic Oak? It's far enough where I'd have to get a stall. You get a stall. Okay. So then I guess I would ask their protocol of like how they're spacing out things. And that's kind of how we've gone about things is like, okay, are you like, what's your biosecurity protocol? Like, are you allowing people coming from WAC to here? Are you allowing people to come? Good question. Or are you, you know, like all those places that I said between WEC and WEF and all of them, they're actually like screening everybody that's coming in and they're not allowing right. ship-ins and all that. So I would just go through their biosecurity and say, look, also, what is their stalls like? Are they, you know, can every horse touch? Are they boarded up? pretty well. Like a lot of temporary stalls are actually some of the best, right? Cause they can't touch right. anything. So right. if they're leaving a stall between it and you're like, they literally can't touch each other. Maybe just go walk up to your friends and be like, Hey, let's chat while riding the horses, you know? Right. Basically right. COVID taught us how to social distance code taught us all of the things we need for it. So it's like, just basically pretend like on the horseback you're on COVID protocol and it kind of is the same. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I know their stalls are limited. It's not a big stabling area, but I, I've still been like, oh, I should probably like waiting to the last minute to see how everything plays out out well, there. Well, just reach yeah. out to them and say, hey, look, what is your biosecurity and EHV and COVID protocols now? Like they might have really good protocols that you feel completely comfortable. It's, you know, it's the same like when talking about, honestly, I think COVID has helped all of us with this next sort of situation that we know kind of 
how to deal with it with asking those same sort of questions. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. So think of it as like COVID for horses, basically. So what are the stalls like? So I haven't, the shows that I've been to during COVID times, like they've actually not even allowed, like each barn was separated by at least two stalls and like the backside, like, so they kind of, what is that word where they like zigzag it kind of like you had one end of the aisle and then the horses from the other barn were on the other side of the far other far end of the aisle. Try to space it out. Is, are they doing that at bigger shows or no? I mean, yeah, at least and, the shows I've been to. And it depends on what the stalls look like. Like if they're fully boarded up and like, so like when we were at WEC, like you couldn't even hear the horses behind you, you know, like there was like a full barrier. So we had the entire aisle. So we had front, like both sides, like the facing stalls and then the barns, the horse on the other side, like you didn't even touch them. Like you honestly didn't even know they were there. You had to like go around the corners. So that kind of situation, but then there's barns where like, you know, they're open stalls and stuff. So then you have to kind of like a, you know, go into that where the horses can touch the backside of the horses as well. If that makes sense. Right. Yeah. So it's just, it depends on like what the stalls have been is what the situation's kind of been. All right. So we got an interesting mailbag from someone who asked to be anonymous. So I'm going to read it to you guys. And I, I think you both are qualified to offer them some good advice. So this listener says I'm considering leaving my trainer slash boarding barn and I don't know what to do. I want to be serious about some of my riding goals, but I feel like I struggle to get my trainer's full attention, even in lessons. It feels like a pick your poison situation because while the farm isn't perfect, the standard of care is pretty good for my horse who is a hard keeper, but I can't bring in another trainer here. How do I know when it's the right time to leave? Who wants to tackle that first? I can go first. Hmm. Yeah. So I think it's, I think it's a very good one. I think, For me, if you're not getting the most out of it, I would have a conversation first. Like I'm all about communicating and everyone knows I'd love to talk. So I guess that's part of it, but that's just a comfortable, like communicating doesn't have, it's not always comfortable. Conversation is not always comfortable. So it's like having that uncomfortable conversation saying, look, like this is what's not making me happy. And don't go about it as like, you know, an abrasive thing to her, just kind of express your feelings and how you're feeling mainly. And if she doesn't respond or they don't respond and saying like, look, you know, this isn't what it's about. Like maybe it's time to change, but I always like to have a conversation first and like where they're at, maybe they don't understand they're doing it, or maybe they don't know how you're feeling. And that in my situation seems to be the best because sometimes, you know, people get wrapped up in it and they, they don't see the way that you're seeing it. If that makes sense. Yeah. I think that's a good point. Like if, um, so I, I agree with Jess, like I would definitely kind of just talk and you don't even have to really bring up the fact that you feel like you don't get their attention. You could even just say, you know, I want to be really serious about my writing goals and just kind of go about it as a question. And that'll be more approachable for an answer. Um, and, you know, as a trainer, I'm sure Jess can agree to this. Like when, when a student is excited to learn something, it makes teaching a lot more fun. So, you know, if you told your trainer, I want to do A, B, C, D, you know, how can I do that? You know, it gives everybody some direction um, and makes everybody on the same page. 
My other suggestion would be definitely don't move your horse, especially if he's a hard keeper yet, but go and see if you can take lessons at different farms, you know, on lesson horses and see if there's a different trainer that you think, you know, you would get along with better or that would help you accomplish those goals and that you like to lessen with, you know, I would definitely, especially with when a horse is involved, you know, go test the waters in different places before you completely, you know, uproot yourself and put yourself in another situation that might be worse or the same. 100%. If you want to ask us a question, you can either post it in our uh, Heels Down podcast Facebook group, or you can send us an email at hello at heelsdownmedia.com. And if you want to hear more from us, you can subscribe to the Heels Down Brief our daily email newsletter by going to bit.ly slash hdbrief. And we want to say thank you to our partners this week, EcoGold and Arena Saddles and SmartPack. And that is a wrap, guys. Cheers. 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 Cheers.